This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table. I started this podcast almost five years ago because I wanted access to entrepreneurs who were doing really cool things. I wanted to have conversations with really smart people because I know one thing, and that is success leaves clues. When you get a chance to have conversations or listen in to podcasts like this one with really smart people doing really awesome things, you can't help it. Along the way, you're going to pick up an idea, a nugget, a theory, or a concept that's going to inspire you or clear some of the path so that you can go out there and succeed more. And that's what I've been trying to do for now, poof, 465 episodes, 67 episodes of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. And I'm really excited today because I have Tim Campos, and he is the CEO of Woven. And he has done some really interesting stuff. His company's doing cool things, and he is just going to open it up. He is going to share with us all of his brilliance. Hey, Tim, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Well, thank you for having me here, Tom. I'm really excited to be here. Kind of honored to be at the uh, the cool kids table. So uh, thanks for inviting me to have a seat. I don't know. You look like you were always at the cool kids table in high school. I, I was on the outside looking in, but, uh, you know, I, I created my own table. So it's worked out really well. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, I don't read the bios that PR people send to me and stuff like that. So why don't you tell everybody what is Woven? What's the company all about? So Woven is a next generation calendar. We've all grown up with uh, tools like Microsoft Outlook and, and Google Calendar. And most people, when you ask them what they think about their calendar, they <laughs> think of it in a very derogatory sense. Uh, and there's a lot of reasons for that. And Woven was created to help address a lot of the problems that calendars have to really bring them into this century. So how long has Woven been around? When did you start the company? Uh, so my co-founder and I started Woven immediately after leaving Facebook two years ago, and uh, we have been live with the product since last November, so about six months. Um, we took 18 months to do the initial product development and uh, then rolled it out to the world in November, and uh, here we are today. Nice. So you left Facebook. I've heard of that company. Uh, yeah, it's a, a, a tiny little website that a few people have, have used. So let's talk about leaving the behemoth of the tiny the tiny little company like Facebook and going off on your own. What, what, what sort of led you to do that? Uh, it's a, you know, it's a bunch of things. I, throughout my career, I have always enjoyed working at startups or companies that feel like startups. I worked at Sybase. Uh, it's a really old database company when it was really small. Um, I worked at SGI um, when it was in its heyday. And uh, even though it was a larger company, it felt very entrepreneurial then. I did a, an internet startup. I worked at Facebook when it was much smaller. So I really love uh, the 
you know, the, the entrepreneurial spirit. And that's something that has always been motivating for me. But every single one of those companies was somebody else's company. I always wanted to have the opportunity to create um, my own. And after being at Facebook for uh, almost seven years, my uh, co-founder and I decided that it was time. It was time to go uh, venture on our own. And that's uh, in part what motivated uh, Woven. Now, the, the space itself, we can talk about in a little bit. That was also quite motivating for me. Uh, but at the end of it, I just had it in my heart. And I don't know that I could go back. So that was going to be my next question is, so now that you've been doing this for two years, what is it that you love about the life of an entrepreneur? I mean, you sat in entrepreneurial companies, but you weren't, you weren't the guy. How do you feel now? What do you love about it? <laughs> so, I think what I love about it is also what I don't love about it. It's, it is not for the faint of heart. Uh, you know, being an entrepreneur, even when you've had success in your career, maybe even especially when you've had success in your career, is an enormous uh, burden and responsibility and can be really challenging. But at the same time, uh, that's also the fun part of it is that, you know, I get an opportunity to do everything. Um, so whatever the company needs to be successful is what I have to dive in, uh, try to, you know, become an expert in it as quickly as I can and, and do the best that, uh, that, we, that we need, whether that's uh, products, engineering, marketing, uh, sales, investor relations, you know, all these different things. So I love the diversity of my day and all the different uh, problems and challenges that, that I have to deal with. So um, are there any parts of it you don't like? Do you ever think, I wonder if Facebook would take me back? <laughs> well, Facebook's made my life a little easy on that front as of late, but uh, <laughs> The, uh, you know, I think the hard part about it is it never stops. You know, you don't get a vacation from this, especially as the, the founder CEO. Uh, there's a lot of responsibility that you take on. And every problem that hasn't been solved is your problem uh, until you figure out either how to solve it yourself or to get somebody to help solve it for you um, or both. And um, so that can be quite stressful. And it's, you know, an emotional journey. Uh, the highs are really, really high. When you have great weeks like we did last week and user growth is through the charts and engagement is through the charts, you feel awesome. And then there are other times where things aren't so great, you know, where you have a bunch of bugs or you get bad user feedback from a lot of different people or you have, um, you know, you know uh, an investor who doesn't, uh, you know, react the way that you want them to. And so the, uh, the highs are high and the lows are low, and you just got to learn that um, every day is going to be different. So um, don't get too excited when they're so high, and don't get too bummed out when they're so low. <laughs> and, and you do have those days. I've been working for myself for 10 years. Now, I'm, I'm a solo opener. I, I, work, I work for me, and, and me works for me. And, uh, but there's definitely those days where I, you know, once in a while, I think, you know what? Let today slide, because you have those other days where you're on top of the world. So it, it, it does all balance itself out. It's actually, it's a great life lesson just in general because life is this way, but I think you have to learn it as an entrepreneur in order to, to survive. Um, there was a, an article I read um, about a year and a half before I founded Woven, uh, which talked about the, the mental health of the entrepreneur. And uh, it basically pointed out that it's not all, you know, um, you know, puppy dogs and, and roses and it's 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 not a, every day feels like uh, an incredible uh, awesome day and that can be really burdensome on the entrepreneur there's a lot of depression and there's a lot of anxiety that that can uh, trigger and so you have to have ways to sort of deal with your your mind and make yourself feel 
uh, you know, confident that you're doing the right things and uh, stay the course and not react to your emotions and instead look at the data and make the decisions that you need to make and move forward. And um, it does pan out. I mean, when you have those good days, it's a res uh, you know, it's usually a result of hard work and good decisions. So. So there's a lot of people out there who work for companies and they have that same little feeling that you sort of described earlier on in this conversation that, you know, they like their job. They did well, but but something inside of them, it's not their company. They, they want to do it. They're listening to this saying, I want to do what Tim did. So what advice do you have for people who are going to leave a company, leave the safety of something like a Facebook and go start their own, you know, their own path? You know, it, it just do it. I mean, I, not to sound like a Nike commercial, but um, <laughs> at the end of the day, it's you. You we're we're all smart professionals here, and uh, you know anybody who's in the Silicon Valley or at a tech company or who's thinking about this probably is established enough in their career that um, you know that they're smart. And so, if if you're really that passionate about it, there's no time like the present. You can sit there and you can talk yourself out of. Uh, starting a company or taking the entrepreneurial journey easily. The, the risk, the financial burden, the impact to your relationships, um, all of these things. And, you know, to be quite frank, if uh, you're the kind of person where that is too scary for you, then maybe it's not the right life. Because like I said at the beginning, it's, it's a journey and it's um, sometimes there's tough days. But uh, if after thinking about that, you're the kind of person where you know, that's, it still feels like something that you'd want to do. In fact, it energizes you to, to uh, you know, be able to overcome challenges, then stop waiting. Uh, that was probably one of the things, if I look back on my career, that I've always questioned is, should I have done this earlier? And, um, you know, and I could draw the arguments either way. And at the end of the day, I'm quite happy with all the life decisions that I've made. But, um, you know, I certainly did not want to retire asking that question. I didn't want to end my career saying, oh, what if I had done this? What if I had done that? Um, I'm not that kind of person. So uh, I, I made the gut call. And, you know, even though at the time everybody was like, hey, how can you do that? How can you leave a company like Facebook? It all works out. And I have found that that is uh, a truism in life, that you know, if you're committed to your dreams, eventually they all work out. Well, and it's interesting that you say that because it, it rings really true with me and the regular listeners of, of this podcast know that it's something I talk about all the time is that my only regret is that I wasn't braver to try my own thing earlier along the way. Now, of course, if I had done that, it might not be what I'm doing now. And I really love what I do now. So, you know, sometimes you have to go through the path that you go to get to the destination that you're at. But I really I spent 20 years in sales and marketing and I was good at it. I worked here in Austin. I, I sold to the tech community. Uh, I moved over into marketing. I was really good. I won awards. I, I moved the bottom line of companies that I worked for. But on the flip side of that, I my ladder was against the wrong wall. I wasn't really happy doing what I was doing. So eventually, uh, through a layoff and through timing, I found my way into sort of following my dream, which has been to speak at corporations and at, at associations at their conferences. And over the years, I've sort of had a bunch of different things that I've done, but it's been a lot of fun. But I do think that if I could have done it earlier, it would be better. And I, I had a, I released about a, three weeks ago uh, an episode of this podcast on what would I tell the class of 2019 graduating from college uh, because I have a daughter who graduated with a business degree from Carnegie Mellon and didn't want to jump right into a big giant company. It doesn't mean she won't. 
but she wasn't chasing Wall Street. She went there with the the thought that that was what she was going to do. But instead, she's trying to start her own movement in women's fitness, and she wants to work for this little boutique company and and maybe do some contract work on the side. And I said, you know what? Do it. And she said, I know. You, you always said that your only regret is you wish you started younger. And I told her, I go, you may or may not be making the right decision, but at least you're owning the decision. I didn't do that. I did what my parents and what society told me to do. And so when you said that, I was like, yeah, Tim, I agree with you. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, first off, I appreciate hearing uh, the story about your daughter. I have a 15-year-old myself. And uh, uh, first off, congratulations getting her into a great university. But it's the uh, same thing with my kids. Um, I, I definitely yeah, think and, and by the way, and by the way, we didn't have to buy her way in. Like, uh, <laughs> well, congratulations on that too. Like, like some of the people, I, cu- I couldn't have afford, I couldn't afford it to have bought off a coach. So uh, she yeah, got in the old, yeah. she got in the old fashioned way. She earned it. Well, you know, life is about struggle, and so sometimes, uh, you know, you you struggle to a- achieve your objectives, whether it's you have to work hard in school, or you know, it, it takes a while for you to find your passion and. Um, you know, if it's too easy, it's it's hard to feel really good about what you've accomplished. And so, well, you know, the interesting thing is, is my daughter. I mean, I don't want to take this off onto a conversation about her, but but her dream was to be the CEO of like a Fortune 500 company. So she was yeah. looking for a top tier school. She was making all these choices, and while she was there, she sort of found herself. That's not the life that she wants. She she wants to be part of a family and and not work 80 hours a week. And she got really into this idea of women understanding the importance of strength training. And yeah. so she started a coaching program for women about weightlifting and weight loss. And I'll be danged if she doesn't have a couple of clients and she's got people who follow her on Instagram and these women who she's coached through, you know, how to get stronger and why, you know, I read the comments that they leave. They, she seems to be really good at it. She wants to start a movement. And I'm like, I don't think you, I think the time to start a movement is when you're 22. So I was all behind her, you know, and, and she said, she goes, you know, I go, you didn't have to go to Carnegie Mellon to be a fitness trainer. And she said, no, but I had to come here to find myself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's an awesome story. And, you know, it's interesting because we, we see this even with a little bit with, with our users that, you know, when uh, people are, um, you know, entrepreneurs or independents that work at small companies, most of their time is allocated to achieving their mission and accomplishing the goals that they have. Whereas the bigger the company that you are in, increasingly you spend a higher percentage of your time dealing with the issues of the organization. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for some people, they're very passionate about that. They're good at process. They're good at, you know, getting groups of people to uh, beat to the same drum. And for them, you know, the corporate life is exactly what they should be doing. But for others of us, you know, that feels like a constraint. And uh, the entrepreneurial path, I think, is a way to build the future that you want for yourself. So I celebrate what your daughter's doing. I think that's incredible. So, Tim, I one of the things I do is I, I teach a program. I call it the paradox of potential because we get so excited about potential. You hire Becky into your company and you think, oh, my God, Becky is so great. She has this wonderful background and, you know, she she has this right degree and she has a special certification. She has so much potential. She's going to revolutionize everything around the company. And a year later, you're transitioning Becky out of the company. Well, how come? If she had potential – Why didn't it work out? Well, my philosophy and what I've learned from interviewing hundreds of people is potential doesn't equal performance. So you've worked around the Silicon Valley for a long time. You've seen a lot of companies with a lot of potential who didn't make it. And then you've seen some 
that have just blown the doors off of everything that we've ever dreamed possible. So what do you think the delta is? What's the difference for entrepreneurs who go from potential to results versus those who get lost in the gap? Well, I do think just to get this off the table, that there is a little bit of luck and timing um, that, you know, for some people, they're the right at the right place at the right time with the right solution um, or, you know, just fortune favors them. Um, and the reality for people is you can't gain access to that if you don't play. So going back to the, you know, whether or not be an entrepreneur, um, if you're, you know, if, if you take the plunge, then you now are, are in the pool for that. But it's also largely not a controllable uh, thing. So, you know, let's take that off the hill. I think the other part of um, what drives success uh, is just uh, tenacity. Uh, it is so hard. It is really easy it's so hard to be successful. It's really easy to give up. And we look at the, you know, the wonder kits, the, you know, the WhatsApps of the world who, you know, just got it right very early on and uh, blew up or, you know, the accomplice, I think it was 18 months between accomplice getting founded and when they were acquired by Microsoft. And, and they're fantastic examples, but most of them don't work that way. Most startups, you know, they slog for years before they finally get product market fit. And then they start growing. Look at Airtable right now. They've been going through this. That company was founded, I think, in 2012 um, with what seemed like a crazy idea of like, oh, we're going to make the next better Excel. Well, what's, you know, what's that going to look like? And, but they've done it now. Like they have fantastic growth. And, um, and that, if they gave up in 2015 or in 2016, they wouldn't be where they are right now. So I think tenacity plays a huge part. Um, Obviously, team and having a good dynamic within your organization, it's a lot easier to do big things with more than one person. Um, so the more people you have working for you, the, the better, but also the quality of those people and most importantly, how effectively you all work together, I think is another key factor. And I've, I've seen a lot of startups die simply because people couldn't get along um, with each other because they get hard. And, you know, it's kind of like a marriage, right, where, uh, you know, when you're dating and you're looking at your spouse super attractive woman, want to go hang out with her all the time. Sounds great. But you get married and, you know, you go through financial difficulty or kids or all this other stuff that's tough and hard. Then all of a sudden, you know, maybe you're not as attractive to each other. But if you're able to uh, work through those tough times, uh, that's what leads to long-term bliss. And I think it's the exact same thing with companies. And so, I personally think this is one of my greatest strengths is tenacity. If you talk to people who really, really know me, uh, they'll tell you that uh, one of my, uh, my greatest assets is I don't give up no matter how, how hard it gets. I might complain, I might cry, I might like, get fussy about it, but I don't give up. And um, you know, definitely I can say on our journey right now, uh, it has not been easy. Uh, we still have a lot of hard stuff in front of us and uh, you know, the, uh, we, we would not be uh, where we are today if we decided that, you know, this is too hard. So I think tenacity is a secret weapon for a lot of people. So I want to I want to explore that just a little bit more. I don't want to let that go, because I think what you said there in the last little little thing, little nugget that you dropped there, I think that's really important. 
So I think a lot of people give up too soon. I think I think you're right. It's the people who keep going. I mean, in, in my world as a, as a professional speaker, there's a joke that it takes 10 years to be an overnight success. And, you know, so many like people, that. so many people who are like speaking at all these companies and all these conferences, you know, they just blow up and people are like, oh, they just came on the scene. And you don't see that for 10 years, you know, they were slogging out doing, you know, small little groups, speaking at rotary clubs and everything else. And so where does that tenacity come from? Why do you have it? Uh, well, not to totally psychoanalyze myself. I think this goes back to like just the beginning. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a, a family as a middle child and middle children often uh, get the short end of the stick. Uh, they're not the, uh, the firstborn and they're not the baby. Uh, and so they kind of get forgotten about. And, um, you know, I also have, uh, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a family with really, really smart people. So I always felt like I just didn't have it. Um, and in order to sort of survive, I had to get over all of that stuff and just focus on finding what I was good at. And I found with time that, uh, that led to success. That one thing of just not giving up led to success. Um, my first job, let's give you a perfect example of this. I was a freshman at Cal. Um, I didn't want to work waiting tables. I applied for an internship at Sybase. And um, I was super enthralled by the, the pay rate that they had, which was like three times as much as I could make waiting tables. <laughs> um, but I applied and my wife was like, or my girlfriend at the time, who became my wife, was like, okay, did you follow up with them? I said, no. She's like, we well, got to follow up with them. She, long story short, she encouraged me to keep following up with them until they finally called me back to say, please stop calling, we're done. We filled the role and we never want to hear from you again because you're so annoying. But <laughs> the guy that they hired got appendicitis and three weeks later, they were screwed because, um, you know, it was too close to the summer for them to restart the internship process. And because I had been so pers perseverant on this, I was on the top of the list. They called me back and like, hey, can you please come in and interview? And I did. Um, and I got the job. And that was the beginning of uh, almost four and a half years working at Sybase. I never ended that internship. They loved what I did. They loved my passion. And that got me started in, in, in my career. So this has been a part of me from early on. That said, I know a lot of people who have made big life changes midway through their lives because they faced really tough moments. And it sort of triggered something. It, it flipped a switch inside of them that oh my gosh, for me to survive this divorce or for me to survive this health scare or for me to survive this near-death experience um, you know, professionally, I have to figure out how to do things differently. And that one thing can give them the, uh, the drive and the motivation to overcome adversity. So it's not necessarily inherent or innate. Um, it can be acquired through experience. But in my case, it was something that I've enjoyed and as part of my character from a very early very early on oh well, i love i love the story about just kind of just keep berating them about the job and them saying go away and then being in the right place i had a very similar thing happen in my career i used to work for a publishing company that sold advertising for chambers of commerce they did special big high-end expensive publications and uh, i kind of fell in love with austin i moved here 28 years ago before austin became sort of the the cool tech place to be and as austin started to grow i wanted to work at the chamber of commerce because i thought how cool is that and they didn't have a job for me i wasn't a good match but i kept like 
going in through different ways. And finally, they sent me a letter that was very polite but said, go away, kid, you bother me. And it was sent by the uh, secretary, the assistant, to the CEO. And I sent her a handwritten note that said, thank you so much for your time. And then their publisher was looking for a sales rep. And she called and said, okay, I've never gotten a handwritten note for a rejection letter. She goes, we, we have to introduce you to these people. And they hired me, and I worked for that publishing company for four years, and it sort of launched my career. Uh, and I worked all over the country for them on different projects for different cities. And uh, I, I always think it was just, it was that little handwritten note that just said, thank you for not picking me, that got me yeah. picked for something better. Yeah, yeah. I, I've experienced a lot of that. I, I, uh, I had a, another experience in my life. This is actually not, not fairly well known, so exclusive for your it is listeners. now that's right um but uh i was being recruited to be the ceo of a, a fairly well-known uh, tech company and for me it was a great honor that they were even considering me because i didn't think i was qualified at the time but the interview process between me and this company went so well like we just connected uh the board and myself um i love the culture of this company uh, there were problems. It was in a different state, and it was going to require me to, uh, you know, to move my family. And um, but I was just really passionate about the culture. But it didn't work out. They had an even better candidate who was internal, and I had had the chance to interview with him. This guy would have worked for me if they had hired me, and we got along fantastic. So it was such a positive experience that. Um, even after it not working out, they invited me to join the board. Um, and I'm still with this company now. Um, and, uh, you know, it is, uh, you know, a, a part of my uh, professional life. So you just never know how these things are going to work out. Um, and it's just best to sort of, uh, you know, focus on the journey and the, uh, uh, you know, the relationships and the successes and the failures are kind of fleeting. They're just sort of moments in time. Um, and you know, just roll with them. Yeah, no, I think I think that is I, th I think that's great. So I've got a couple more questions for you before I can let you go. But first, sure. I got to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. Podfly sets you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Tim Campos from Woven. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So Tim, I call this show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What's the coolest thing you're doing right now with your company? You know, one of the things that is really exciting about the space that we're in is that um, it really has not been brought into this century. So Woven is a calendar company. And one of the first issues I get from people is, well, okay, so what's different about what you do? Uh, and despite the fact that people don't like the calendars that they have, it's hard for them to imagine using the calendar in a totally different way. And that's basically what we are trying to enable. We've rebuilt the calendar from the back end forward, which means our calendar can do a lot of things that aren't possible with Google Calendar with Microsoft Outlook. And oh, by the way, we maintain the compatibility with them. So it's not a lift and switch where your data is all gone and you can't keep using Google for what it's good at. 
use woven in conjunction with those calendars. But uh, one of the things that I'm really excited about, you know, the world has gone totally mobile, right? Um, mobile devices have transformed the workplace. They've transformed how we communicate and collaborate with each other. And, uh, you know, when it comes to calendaring, the, the mobile device is uh, it's sort of like an afterthought. We use um, calendars on our phone to help figure out where do we go next. That's it. But when was the last time that you scheduled a meeting on your phone or uh, even worse, like if it has a multi-party meeting that requires a lot of uh, collaboration to figure out when is the right time for everybody, most people just give up and don't even try. They'll do that at their desktop. And we um, have built a really kick-ass, uh, I hope I can say that on your show. Sure, why not? Uh, all right. <laughs> mobile, mobile app that makes creating events super simple. Uh, I can do a board meeting on my phone with just three taps. It's basically open up, woven, select board event. It will automatically give me the times that work for everybody. Pick one of those and then hit schedule and it invites all the people. It's already a time that's going to work for my investors. It's got the conference room all set up, the location instructions, everything. But where this is going for us that we're really excited about is messaging because calendars are built on email. And um, so that's basically where you, most people collaborate on um, coordinating a, a calendar event over email. But uh, increasingly, like with my kids, they never use email. It's all about text messaging or Instagram direct or Facebook or whatever. Uh, and we have built a really awesome messaging interface for uh, calendaring to make it possible for people to coordinate time with each other over, initially it'll be focusing on iMessage on, the, um, on Apple devices, but then we'll add Slack and Facebook Messenger and others. And, it's really fun to use because it's just so easy and it takes all the friction out of the, uh, uh, the scheduling process. So that's probably the biggest thing that I'm excited about right now. Um, but what I really love about being the entrepreneur is, you know, this messaging interface that's, you know, this month's sprint. And we're going to move on to some other things. And we've got a long list of stuff that we've done. And, uh, you know, this space is just ripe for disruption. There's so many good things to do. So is your current product, is it an enterprise product or is it something the individual can go and, and nab? No, this is actually designed right now for the individual. Um, a lot, this is actually one of the, the learnings for us early on. We originally started with the idea that, well, you know, I'm, I'm a CIO. I've been a CIO of two different companies. I know a lot of other CIOs. I figured this is a superpower. I'll go into corporations and I'll say, hey, Mr. CIO that I've known for a long time, use this product for your company and you know, we're all said and done. And that probably is in our future at some point. But one thing that they don't tell you, uh, maybe they do, and I just wasn't paying attention in entrepreneur school, uh, is that your product is never right on day one. It's never right. In fact, it is almost guaranteed to be wrong. And what you need is a bunch of at-bats. You need a bunch of failures or a bunch of problems with it to learn how to make it right. That's hard to do in enterprise software when you know each CIO is going to be making a big bet on us for thousands of people. And so we found that actually it was much better to go the other way and to go after the individual, the entrepreneur, uh, the solo entrepreneur, the um, small business uh, owner, the independent consultant. Um, and uh, those users um, have just been fantastic for us. They, they give us a lot of great feedback. We're able, we've been able to connect to the people that want their calendar to be more useful for them because time is money for them. 
And so they've invested um, as much time with us as we have in the product, which is just, it's, we're very honored to have them as users because these are the people that really help make Woven great. So, and, and that's the majority of my listening audience. It's, it's the, the small solopreneur trying to get out there and grow something and create something. So uh, everybody needs to go check out Woven. Awesome. Well, you know, we have a lot of uh, empathy for the challenges and uh, we built some really cool features where, you know, it's really easy to use Woven to get clients to sign up for uh, initial engagements. Um, it makes it a lot easier to coordinate those follow-up conversations with them, especially if you can get them using Woven too, so the calendars can talk to each other. Um, we uh, have a lot of collaborative features in the product that uh, make it so that meetings are no longer just about when are they happening and where are they happening, but also about what are we talking about sure that we have you know good agendas and conversations and make good use of our time so and if, uh, so if someone right now is like itching saying i need a better calendaring system I, I love this guy where do they go to find out where do they go to get it they should go to woven.com um and uh they can sign up for woven right now it is for google's um calendar and google suite users only so for those of you who use office 365 um or exchange Support for that will be coming later this year, but we don't have it just yet. Um, but for the Google Calendar or Google Suite user, you can sign up for it right now. There's no cost to it. Um, and uh, uh, we also have a mobile app, which is available on the iOS App Store. And we have a desktop app that's available in both the Mac and Windows App Stores. Awesome. Well, I'll, I'll go check it out because those are the exact things that I use, everything that you're supporting. So. That's good. We've done our market research well then. That, that's right. I'm, if I'm the target market, you did very, very well. <laughs> you are the target market. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. So, so Tim, I love to ask people who come on the show, because we could talk about you and Woven, and I mean, your background sounds like it's got so much more that we could, we could just like an onion, just keep peeling it back here. But I kind of get tired of the fact that we live in the, hey, look at me world. And I think that true entrepreneurs, I think they're observers. So I love to ask everyone who comes on the show, when you look out there into the world of entrepreneurs, the entrepreneurosphere, if you will, who is it that you admire? Who is it that you say, wow, she or he, they're doing the cool stuff? Wow, it's an awesome question. And it's hard for me to nail that down to just one person. It's more like the, the personality. Um, I have a lot of respect for um, two kinds of entrepreneurs. Uh, one is uh, the entrepreneur is like your daughter, you know, straight out of school, and wants to change the world and is basically choosing not to start off by doing that in a corporate setting. And um, what's amazing to me about this personality type is that they don't know what they don't know. And at this stage in their career, that's actually kind of helpful because they don't know you can't do things. Um, so they've basically not developed the limitations that we – over time in our lives established in our brain. So I love those kinds of uh, entrepreneurs and, and I, I see so many of them and your, your story about your daughter, that's part of what really got me excited is that she fits straight into that persona. Um, I also love the people who make a decision to do it later on in life. There's a great study that I read um, that uh, entre success of the entrepreneur is very much correlated with age. Um, that the uh, more experienced you are by the time you start the company, the more likely it is that your business will be successful. And uh, I think the study was done by uh, Berkeley, if people want to look on it uh, online. And um, so, you know, those people who, and there's a lot of them, um, a lot of ex-Facebookers who are doing this now, um, like the guys over at Keep Analytics, um, 
or people.ai, where you know they're taking what they've learned from their companies and um, you know they've they're building something new uh, out of it. Uh, so those two are the two personas that I, I most identify with. Um, there are specific people that I find um, that uh, have really done amazing things in their life. I hesitate to give them too much credit because I kind of feel like they already have enough of it. So <laughs> I don't want to sort of add on to the bandwagon. But, um, you know, I, I do think that, uh, you know, a lot of um, the success of companies like Facebook and Tesla and, and others do go, ultimately go back to the founder CEOs and the, the willingness that they have have made to sort of um, challenge the status quo. And, and those two unnamed founder CEOs happen to also be the two most mentioned names from that question. Yeah. This, and I, I hate to jump on the bang. I mean, I had the honor of working with Zuck. So um, I know him firsthand. I've, I've met um, Elon a few times. Um, and so I understand both of their personalities, probably Zuck a lot better than, uh, than Elon's. Uh, but when I was interviewed at Facebook before I uh, joined there, he was the last interview that I had. And the question that I had going into this interview was, is he smart or lucky? Um, and um, I remember it took me about five minutes to sort of get over myself when I walked in the room because I was literally studying him in business school at the same time as I was doing this interview. Uh, and so it was just weird to actually be right in front of the guy. But um, he's a very down to earth person. But my, the end of the conversation for me definitely answered the question, which is it's both. Uh, he was lucky. He was in the right place at the right time. But he's also ridiculously smart. And one of the greatest attributes I think uh, he has is he knows what he's not good at, and he surrounds himself with brilliant people who are good at those things. And that's a lesson for all of us. It's, uh, so I, I don't know him, but I, and of course I would love to interview him, but I will tell you the thing from as an observer. I saw him 14 years ago, 13 years ago, he was the keynote at South by Southwest, and it was it's gone down as like one of the worst keynotes in the history of a business event. He 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 didn't know how to speak yet. He was new on the scene. He uh, asked to be interviewed rather than speak, and the whole interview just went sideways. Like people were streaming out. If you look back at whatever year it was, there's there's pages on the internet about this thing. And then, like three years later, I saw him give a speech. And he was great. I mean, he wasn't like, ooh, the best speaker I've ever seen. But for a CEO speaker, he, he was great. And the thing that triggered in my mind was here's a guy who he had to have known how bad the South by Southwest thing was. You couldn't have turned on a computer without knowing how bad it was. And so what did he do? He didn't make a big deal about it. He didn't go on and say, oh, fuck you. Oh, I can't say that. Um, <laughs> but he obviously went and got coached on how to be a better presenter. And I've always yeah. thought... That is that is something that we need more of is, okay, here's an area that I need to improve. Hey, I'm going to go get coaching and make myself better at that. And now when you see him do shareholder meetings and things like that that are streamed, you know, he's great. He's fine. And that always stuck with me. You know, I don't know him from a load of polls, but that always stuck with me as a, an admirable thing that, hey, here's a weakness. I'm going to tackle it. Well, I'll give you a, a couple of other nuggets to sort of complete out that picture. Um, you know, he isn't still the best speaker at Facebook. So this story doesn't end with him getting coaching and becoming the like, most amazing speaker in the universe. He doesn't have to be because you know, he has people like uh, Cheryl and others around him. But um, he, what he, 
has been really, really good at, and I think that um, this is a credit to him. Most people don't, don't know this. He makes himself very available to the company. So he does a, a weekly Q&A every week. It's live streamed to the entire company. Um, anybody can stand up and ask a question. And I remember when I first started going to these things, I was a little nervous to ask tough questions. And um, I got to know the, um, uh, you know, the PR team around him, even though this is external or internal uh, thing, he still had uh, you know, people that would help basically surface the questions that um, you know, people are asking about and, and raise them. But anyway, she, uh, one of the things that they told me is like, you know, the harder the question, the more likely it is he's gonna answer. He doesn't like the softballs. He wants the ones that are really challenging, really tough. And it's, she's true to that. And so what it does is it create it reinforces a culture that it's okay to ask tough questions, right? I mean, you can do it in a disrespectful way, but mo most of the time people can do it in a respectful manner. And it's okay because what it does is it brings things to the surface so you can talk about it. And imagine him doing this week in, week out for years. And when I saw him stand in front of the Senate committee when uh, he had to go speak to them, uh, despite the fact he was a bit robotic, somebody told him he had to prefix everything with yes, Senator, yeah. yes, Senator, yes, Senator. It almost sounded like you know he was being forced to say that. Um, you know, the rest of it was vintage Zuck. That you know he, uh, you know, he doesn't mind the tough questions. He doesn't mind the stupid questions. He um, and he is you know on top of things. He wants to answer the the, the queries that people have. He wants to make sure that he satisfies their. Um, you know, their, their concern. And most importantly, what he does, and this is really powerful within a company, I think this is a great lesson for leaders. He gives people insight into the, um, the algorithm that he uses to make decisions. That's my, my language, by the way, not his. Um, but what are the principles that he uses to, um, to assess things? And with time, you start to learn uh, the answer to questions of, well, what would Zuck do? What would Zuck say, right? So you don't have to actually go to him to ask, answer questions. You can basically just apply it yourself. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of that comes from just being comfortable standing in front of people and talking to them. So um, a lot of good things I could say about him. I sure. won't say any of the things that I'm concerned about. No, uh, that's, not what, that's, not what we're, that's not what we're here for. But since we've gone down this path, I am going to throw in an extra question. So sure. as the CEO of your own company, what's one lesson you learned uh, from him and from Facebook that you are using in your company? Oh, well, we definitely learned the, uh, the power of getting the culture right up front. Um, and so, uh, you know, we, my co-founder and I were very deliberate about this when we created the company. We had a bunch of things that we both really enjoyed about um, Facebook's culture that we wanted, a few things that we didn't. And um, we built that into how we hire. Um, you know, it wasn't just about this, your skills and, you know, are you interested in the space that we're in? We also wanted to know, how do you think, how do you behave when things are ambiguous, when things are tough, when um, you know, are you the kind of person that like, you know, needs to have, uh, things be told what to do. And, um, you know, we knew what we were looking for in all this and we got it. And one of the greatest assets of our team is they deal with ambiguity and adversity like none other that I have had a chance to work with. Um, you can imagine in our space, it is very difficult to find the right balance between innovating and showing people in new ways to use time and, 
um, you know, meeting the table stakes of uh, existing products that are out in the marketplace just so that you can play. And, uh, you know, the, the number of decisions, product decisions that my team is able to make on their own to deal with that um, is just phenomenal. And is one of the, the things that has helped us, uh, you know, accomplish as much as we have in the amount of time that we've been working on this product. So I think the culture piece is the one that I will most take away from Facebook. I will also say there's probably a dozen others. Nice. Um, good lines from that company. Nice. Hey, the last question, Tim, that I ask everybody who comes on the show is, is sort of what do you do to give back to the greater good? And the reason I ask this is I think if we're entrepreneurs, we're fortunate. And I feel very fortunate every single day. And I think that it's about more than just making money. And so I always ask people, because people do it in so many different ways, what is it that you do to impact? Yeah, so um, there's a organization that I'm on the board for um, called Year Up. And that's spelled because it's always people hear Europe. It's not Europe. Year, as in time of year, up. Y-E-A-R-U-P. And I love this organization. It is, I think, uh, exactly the kind of hope that our country needs, particularly in this day and age of huge disparities in education and huge disparities in, um, yeah, in, in wealth. And what they do is they take... Uh, young adults, uh, ages of 18 to 24, who missed out on college for whatever reason. Many of these people are, um, uh, you know, they, they might be working at uh, fast food, they might be working as like store clerks, uh, or they might not be working at all. Um, they bring them in, they give them a paid, um, paid schooling. They pay them to go to school for six months. They teach them how to work in a corporate environment, and they teach them some basic uh, in the Bay Area technology skills. Uh, this is a national organization, so they also do this for financial services, and customer service, and other, other functions. Um, but at the end of the six months, then they intern these students out uh, to companies like Facebook, uh, Salesforce.com, Twitter, Kaiser Permanente, Wells Fargo, so on and so forth. And um, the success that they have in transforming people's lives from being in a class of work that basically would not uh, result in uh, financial independence and long-term success to being in the jobs of the future, um, sourced from this country, sourced from right here in places like downtown San Jose, Oakland, San Francisco, you know, there's a fantastic source of talent. And what these people have is character. They have amazing character. We talked about my tenacity and the, the character strengths that I have pale in comparison to these to the individuals that I've met in this program that are just phenomenal and have had to deal with some massive life struggles to get to where they are. And that character gets refined into a phenomenal workforce. So that's what Europe does. It is uh, an organization that I am just honored to be a part of. I was the executive who brought them into Facebook. Facebook now has a full-time, um, they don't just have a program where they sponsor students. They actually do a lot of the instruction on campus at uh, Facebook's facility. I think they're doing something like a 100 students a session now, which is a uh, just a massive scaling. Um, Europe is, uh, I think, approaching 20,000 students nationally that they have um, you know, brought through their program. It is a great organization and something that helps me feel like we're building for the future and not just dealing with today's problems. 
God, I love asking that question because I always get, I always hear things different from everybody and that just warmed my heart. So that's awesome. Thank you for doing that, Tim. That sounds like a great, great, great organization to give your time to. By the way, they they can both use uh, time uh, if anybody wants to help donate. uh, Doing things like mock interviews and uh, mentorship and things for students. And uh, obviously, you know, they're an organization that's growing. They can use uh, capital. Awesome. And they can be found at, at where? I-E-A-R-U-P, Europe.org. Perfect. Awesome. Well, and speaking of giving of time, thank you for giving your time to the audience here at Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. This has been a great interview. Thank you for being so candid and sharing your journey and your advice. Thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun and I've really enjoyed it. And uh, next time we will have to do this one over a beer. I think it'll make it even better. I, I, I am all for that. If your travels ever bring you to Austin, uh, I know all the good places to get beer. All right, you're on. Awesome. And if people want to find you, they can find you at woven.com. That's correct. Awesome. Well, Tim Campos, again, thank you. Thank you for coming on and and being part of our community here at Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. And I say at every show, thank you to the listeners. If it wasn't for an audience, why would we even do this? Uh, The audience is growing. More people are finding out about Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. They like interviews with people like Tim or the Tuesday shows where it's me just pontificating about something I ran into in my own entrepreneurial journey. Uh, We do two shows a week. So please tell your friends. Go if, uh, If you like the show, walk around your office and get everybody to subscribe. Uh, That's how the show gets found is through word of mouth. So tell somebody. So we're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Tim Campos. I know you're thinking, what? How will you ever find anybody that cool? But we do it every time. But in the meantime, I'm going to challenge you to go out there and try something new. If we keep doing the same things, we're going to get the same results. So try new things. And while you're at it, have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.